Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah. Assalamu alaikum everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Isa podcast. My name is Ibrahim Karak and I am one of your hosts today together with Hajar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. My name is Hajar Mtiri and I'm pursuing a master's degree here at uh, Frey University. And I'm happy today to be co-hosting with Ibrahim, uh, Dr. Altaf Hussain again uh, at the Isa podcast. All right, Dr. Altaf Hussain, Associate Professor at Howard University School of Social Work. Um, you're the Vice President of ISNA and of Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research. Um, and you're also a guest lecturer at the University of Utrecht. Um, and basically you come to the Netherlands as an invitation of the University of Utrecht for almost over 10 years. Thank you very much for uh, for being here with us. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. And I want to uh, thank you guys for inviting me. And I look forward to a great conversation. Inshallah. We have uh, the utmost uh, confidence in that. We did an, uh, another episode of the, the ISA podcast. It was the first time that we recorded a podcast, so we had some uh, hitch-ups here and there. But uh, alhamdulillah, we managed uh, to uh, to finish it. And I think that uh, it was a very fruitful conversation. You did a PhD at the Howard University School of Social Work about the focus on religious religiosity, ethnic identity and acculturation as predictors of self-esteem and academic achievement in Somali youth in the US. Um, can you basically um, tell us about the PhD that you did? So this year, uh, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, you know, the, when I was coming uh, into my PhD program, I had a um, um, big appreciation for what my life had been like in the US. So I had come to the US with my parents at the age of 10, and then I was raised there. And uh, ultimately, then I received my bachelor's, my master's, and my and my and I, now I was working on my PhD. I realized that uh, not every young person, immigrant or children of refugees, has um, a similar uh, uh, journey. Uh, and sometimes their journey is much harder. And what are the reasons that could cause them to have a hard, a more difficult journey? So in the literature, when we study that and we look at the different um, uh, factors that are involved. One of the things we realized early on was that your religious identity uh, could serve to support uh, how you ultimately became a better person. And uh, it would be important for us to figure out, are these children actually trying to be Muslim or be uh, practicing Muslims um, or even be attached to Islam if the religion is under attack in the country in which they're growing up? That's one factor. That's why it's called religiosity, uh, how much they are attached to the religion or not. And then we said, well, it could be possible that they may want to be very religious and they, their family helps them to do that in their, in their sort of private life, at their home life. But in the schools and in other places, they feel discrimination and they feel um, uh, for different reasons that they don't feel they fit in place. So as I started to look at these things, the impact of those uh, factors, uh, discrimination, and of course, ethnic identity and religiosity, then we wanted to look at uh, dependent variables and what would be the impact. So what would be the impact of these different factors on self-esteem, which is essentially how much a person values themselves and what do they think of themselves, how, how highly they think of themselves, and also on academic achievement, because we thought those things help a youth to get ahead in life or to fall behind. If their self-esteem is affected, uh, they don't feel they value themselves and others value them as much, or if they're not, not succeeding in academics, then ultimately they will have issues getting ahead in life. Right. So the amazing thing was that 
I could have chosen other populations, mm -hmm. but I chose the Somali population because at that time, in the mid 90s, late 90s, more of the Somali population had come as refugees to the United States. So here in one child, boy or a girl, where all of these factors were being complete because they were a very practicing community, yet they were of a black refugee, a black background, of African background, and a country who was very racist. So the country is against Islam, um, against black people, and then usually has a very minimal uh, tolerance for uh, adolescents or teenagers, and they're teenagers, what would it be like for them? During the study that you did, how can you see the effect of discrimination and Islamophobia? Because they face discrimination for being black and Islamophobia for being Muslims. Correct. How, what's the effect that you touched uh, on this population? And how do you think it could be applicable? As you said, it was in the mid-90s. Right. How could you see it applicable to the minorities? And let's say nowadays we have uh, the Syrians, yeah. the Syrians refugees coming yeah. to Europe. Can we apply the same thing uh, on the situation that we, we, we see today? And Very much so. And I think this is the reason that, so by the time I was able to, um, uh, to, to study those youth, um, there was literature already showing on any youth that is already a minority. And then that minority status causes them to be under a microscope, to be looked upon more, you know, in depth. Um, and so... When it's Syrian refugees, for example, in this case, um, if the thinking is that the Syrian refugees are, are responsible for violence or uh, 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 extremism or other kinds of challenges, then the children will push away from that Islamic identity. And somebody will say, well, what are you? And they will say, I'm Syrian. And they may not emphasize Islam. In that case, the problem will be that we will lose because we'll have a generation coming up that doesn't want to identify with Islam. We want to actually show them the opposite, that we can measure this. We can measure the uh, perception of discrimination. Uh, we can measure attitudes that people have towards you. Uh, we can measure <clears throat> your own feelings about how you're treated. The teacher, for example, always calls on uh, this student And then when she looks at this student and she sees it's a Syrian girl, a young refugee girl, and she's wearing her hijab, and she assumes that, oh, she's not going to learn. Um, what's the point? After some time, they will just marry her off and she will not have to study. Then I start to treat her in that way. So we can actually talk about tools to help the, the youth to not only talk to their teachers and then talk to the administration, but to improve the situation. And by we, do you mean the family um, associations like ours or individuals as Muslims uh, living already in that country? How can it, we help yeah, them? It can be uh, uh, several layers. It can become with uh, having programs on the weekends and the evenings to empower the refugee and immigrant minority youth to feel that they are strong that there is nothing wrong simply because of the color of their skin or their religion or their beliefs and that they can achieve whatever goal they want. The more of this training they have on evenings and weekends, when they go back to school, they're going to an area, it's kind of a war. 
So we're preparing them to at least be able to be comfortable and not get distracted, focus on their studies. That's at the individual level. But then we should also have uh, training for the families. Say, look to your son or daughter. If they keep coming home and they're not speaking much, they're not eating much, they don't sleep well, then maybe there's issues at school. Maybe it's somebody is, we call it bullying yeah. at, at school. So maybe we can ask uh, some questions from them. And then we have social workers. We have to train them and say, keep looking out, visiting families who are new and new refugees and new arrivals so that there's always somebody staying in touch with the children and the parents. And then, as you said, there are associations also that when those students come to college, the MSA, for example, can be a very uh, helpful resource and they can welcome them and they can let them know if you, you will never feel alone on this campus. If you have any question, if some professor does not treat you well, uh, if you have any um, uh, um, uh, somebody in the staff who doesn't treat you well, you can come to us and we will discuss it. We will make a complaint. We will. So they should start to feel that there is a whole support system. And it's really interesting, the, the example that you gave of the, the teacher who has a certain uh, pre-assumption yeah. and then treats the student that way. I know of a very um, a famous example of a, a school where uh, a system uh, would basically calculates who was the smart students and who was the dumb students mm. in academic terms. And then uh, the computer made a mistake. So all the kids that were doing well academically uh, were basically, the teacher was told that they were performing less and they were dumb and that the students who were smart, um, so they basically switched it around. And then when they found out that they made this mistake, um, then they checked at uh, academic results of the students mm -hmm. and it showed that the students who were given uh, by the system, the basically the label that they were smart performed better. Why? Because of the treatment of the of the teacher. Yeah. So this self-fulfilling prophecy is yes. very real. And um, what's really interesting to, to hear about what you say is that we need external sources where we can find our trust and basically be able to counter this. You basically did a study about the, the, the effects of perceived discrimination on the self-esteem. How did perceived discrimination affect these students, their mental, mental health and their self-esteem during the study? Yeah. So oftentimes we talk about um, teenagers especially, they're always looking for external validation. Um, somebody to say that I am worth something, somebody to say so they, as simple as you know, when somebody compliments and says, you look nice today, um, or someone says you performed well on this exam, even if it's you know 90 from 100 or 85 from 100 and someone congratulates them, it gives them a sense that I can achieve something. I can be, I am uh, somebody of value and of worth. The challenge becomes is that they can also pick up signals when the teachers are being, for example, um, uh, themselves a bully. So the teacher can say things like, okay, now we're discussing, you know, the, the, the wars in, in, in history. And they say, so, oh, you are from, you know, uh, Somalia or you are from Syria. Oh, why don't you tell us why do you people fight so much? Like this is, of course, a very terrible question to ask. Because it's microaggressions. Microaggression. Right? The child is not responsible for the war. The child is not responsible for political decisions of the government. Um, but but these are, uh, I know, not directly attacking. And yet there are perceptions also in society 
uh, well, whether people genu generally want to look their way or look away from them, uh, uh, to give them a hand to help them or to, you know, to let them be if they're struggling or, you know, if they're having carrying things and getting in the bus or getting onto um, the lift, for example, uh, these things. So but, uh, because teenagers look for validation, some way to be uh, to feel that they're important, that when they don't receive it, it starts to affect the image of themselves. And then they try to, you know, obviously do other ways to to uh, improve their self-esteem. Maybe sometimes it regrettably ends up being uh, in in a bad circle of friends whose maybe their habits are not that great. Or Just whether to prove themselves. Prove themselves, exactly, that I can fit in and that they appreciate me, you know, for who I am uh, in that way, yeah. And I think that these microaggressions are really, um, especially for Muslim students, very common in living in a time of Islamophobia. Uh, we encounter this on a frequent basis. Um, I, I notice it myself, um, like when... Uh, the, the city that I live in now, I, I, I've been living there for three years and it's a city just outside of Amsterdam, um, but they have a lot of people who vote for the party of Geert Wilders, right? PVV. Um, but I didn't grow up there. I grew up in Amsterdam, in the southeast part of Amsterdam, which was very multicultural. So it's a, it's a different different uh, environment. Yeah. And especially when you're at the view, it's a totally different environment. This is, you know, there are a lot of Muslims, so you have a support system. But I notice it when I'm there that I feel more uh, vulnerable almost mm. because every interaction that you have with someone um, you're basically hoping that they are going to treat you in a normal way correct and when they don't that hurts yeah. those those microaggressions hurt you feel them but then again I try to rationalize it to myself like no don't give them your self-esteem and don't don't uh, base your self-esteem based on them and and just let it slide and whatever but it's very easy to say but it does have an effect it on does your state. So being a Muslim in a time of Islamophobia, what would your advice be to a student who is struggling with these microaggressions and this, yeah, yeah. This, this environment that we're living in? So, you know, we, we first of all want them to be alert and to be aware of what is and what is not a microaggression. So we need to start training them on this terminology to introduce them to these words. Um, we regret we have to do that because Teenaging, teenage years should be a time of purity and, you know, and, and just good feelings generally. But the world in which they're growing up, we cannot prevent harm from coming to them. But we can train them to be better uh, able to handle or react to what is being, what is happening. And so microaggressions, you know, um, we, we find oftentimes that the person who has done it once in terms of uh, uh, said a hard word, harsh word, or even in some cases when it go, becomes a physical act of bullying, they will repeat it. It will not just be one time. It will not just happen that they just did it and then they forgot about it. And so we want to even have our young people um, to have what we call a skit and a role playing and a way to dramatize. And so three or four of them can act a certain way and then three or four of them will be trained on how to react to them. And then we will stop and then we will say, no, wait. Now, when you said this, you see how this is, you are becoming angry. Don't, no need to become angry. Keep yourself calm. Step away from the situation. Look to see if there's any doorways. Can you get help? All these things, especially for young women also, and then and for men, the same. Really interesting. So you're basically giving them an, a different script that they, yes. can, uh, yeah. that they can act out because... 
you know, you have um, um, an action, you have something coming to you, and then you have the, the choice to choose your reaction to it. You have the impulse and the choice to... So we basically have to give these, these students who are struggling with these different scripts to deal with these... Situations. Also sometimes being in the, in the role of victim, victimizing itself, sometimes it's not going to work, it's not going to solve the problem. You need in certain situations to be quite defensive, but not in an intense way, as you said, yes. and not in an aggressive way. Yeah. In a smart way, know how to be confident, proud of your identity, and know how to take a stand for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I, have a, I have a close example. My, my sister, she's studying in France, she's doing her master's degree, and she was told that she cannot attend the, the class wearing her headscarf, and she was asked as part of an internal regulation that she must take her headscarf. They tried it several times because we have in, in France the law of uh, yeah. laïcité, the <laughs> secularism. It is a law, but it applies for just uh, uh, state buildings and sta state, uh, uh, like etatique, uh, state uh, employees. Employees, yeah. But in this case, it does not imply actually on on students. Well, she was kind of like, I think maybe they are right. I I should just drop off and drop out and not go. Well, I said. This is exactly what they want. And I know for sure they tried it with other sisters before and probably they succeeded and they just give it a try every time when someone like you comes and... So I told her, those are the laws. You just print them out. If they call you again, you just give them a like, printout copy. She did that. Then the dean himself asked to meet her. Of course, I put her in contact with a lawyer uh, working there and she stood her, gr her ground and she gave her arguments and now she's studying. Mashallah. Sometimes it's basically about educating and, I'm, and she's an engineer. It's not, I'm not talking about the education that we receive in, in, yeah. in universities, but we need to teach our kids since like a young age that there is nothing to be ashamed about. This is your identity. This is who you are. And you should know what are your rights. And not just like, okay, you were bullied and... But this introduces us to the concept of power and privilege. See? Because you are an educated person. She's getting a master's degree. You have all the information. And you can have that kind of um, uh, reaction to her. To say you're not dropping out. But the average refugee family or new immigrant family, the child gets scared. They come home. Nobody is at home who's aware of any of the laws. So they look at each other. Maybe they sit in the dinner table and they cry. They said, subhanAllah, we will have to take off, if it's a woman, my hijab. Maybe it's not worth it. Maybe Allah is telling us, it's protect your deen. Yeah, protect your deen and this is your sign. And so continue doing something, you know, in the house or with the family. But this is where with every young woman, especially women and young men who comes out of the education system, the Muslim ummah loses because we don't know the potential of what they can do in the future. We don't know that that young person cannot become, inshallah, the next uh, scientist uh, to solve some cancer, uh, a medical doctor, a brilliant lawyer, accountant, you know, uh, uh, whatever profession. And so we have to be able to train them to keep their self-esteem high, to keep their connection to Allah high, and then to keep focused on their career with the intent to please Allah, not just to try to get another job or some money. If they keep focusing on pleasing Allah, 
all the other doors will take care of themselves. And how can um, your belief in Allah and being a Muslim help you in having a, a constant source of self-esteem? What's the difference between in self-esteem for a Muslim and a non-Muslim? Generally speaking, the centering mechanism for a Muslim is that we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in charge, that he created us in the best way possible in Surah Atin, and that we are given every chance possible to keep improving. And so when we talk about in Islam, the Islam, we have Iman and Ihsan, then we are talking about training these young people to say that the Islam and Iman is still at the individual level, but the moment you come into Ihsan, then you are starting to hopefully uh, make a goal for yourself that you will be the best you can be because Allah gave you the chance, the opportunity to be able to do it. And that if you anything blocks you, anyone makes fun of you or uh, bullies you or you know uh, attempts to somehow push you off the path, then your path, your, your goal is to stay strong because from Allah you receive your dignity, not from some citizenship or the some servants. Exactly, exactly. But speaking about empower and like believing in and trusting in Allah and having the power, in a realistic, we're speaking theoretically. Yeah. Not everyone has enough uh, self-esteem or enough. I don't want to say strong faith. I'm no, I'm no position to judge anyone. But some of us, there are moments where they just lose. The, the the path and they fell into depression, anxiety, and the mental health is quite a taboo in our Muslim community. The minute someone is falling into depression or saying, I, I feel stressed, anxiety, I cannot sleep, I feel unhappy, I'm not satisfied with my job or my studies or whatever is happening in my life, we'll just tell them like, uh, grab Quran and mm-hmm. pray and they'll do that. But for some people, it does not work. Right. And we will call them, we will judge them and say, you have a weak uh, faith, for example. But how can we, as Muslims, can help each other, can help the brothers and sisters who are in this position and push them actually to seek medical help and not just uh, rely on the spiritual uh, side? So we um, we call it psychoeducation. And the, and the goal is that you cannot change um, or help a person to improve uh, until they completely understand first that no matter what they're experiencing, no matter what they're experiencing, it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That if Allah, if their firm belief is that Allah is in charge, that Allah tests people, but He doesn't test them more than they can bear, more than they can handle. Sometimes what happens is that culturally speaking, and we have done this to ourselves, not by our religion. Because in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout the Quran tries to show people that if you stay attached to my faith, to faith in me, if you keep turning to me, and indeed even when uh, he says in the Quran, astainu bi sabri wa salah, the scholars have said that this is the twins of fasting and of praying. But sabr in this case is the actual fasting and then salah is of course the praying and that if you can come to that level of understanding now what is not clear to many people 
is that you could still have mental health issues and those would not go away by saying I'm praying what's happening. There may be a reason for you because of a body and a chemical imbalance or hormonal imbalance that you would have to take some medicine or undergo some treatment that would allow the body to regulate the imbalance. So similar to any other disease that we talk about, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for which he placed a cure um, and a shifa and a healing, that in the case of uh, uh, anxiety and uh, grief and uh, fear, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala connects these emotions, because these are the dominant emotions in most human beings, with those who spend in the path of Allah, but he doesn't specify spending what or how much. So there's a verse, for example, which says in the Quran, those, They are those who spend of their wealth. It doesn't say what is the wealth, how much is the wealth, anything. By night and by day, and they keep pushing. And subhanAllah, falahum ajruhum and rabbihim. Actually, before that, even says sirran wa alaniya, in secret and also in public. What did they have? They have a falahum ajruhum and rabbihim. There's a reward for them from their Lord. But here's the mental health part. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, You find a way to keep working in my path by night and day, in secret and in public, which is in social media world. Even if nobody clicks, likes, retweets, the angels recorded it. That those are the people when you watch them and they give whatever they have. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that they are the ones, they don't experience fear. They don't, fear doesn't come upon them. And they don't experience anxiety or grief. And this becomes a way for us to tell our children that don't stress yourself out by this discrimination, so much so that you don't study. So then you are stressed from not studying, stressed that you'll do poorly in the exam, stressed that because you did poorly in the exam, then you cannot go to the ad advanced uh, studies. It's a cycle. But spend that time studying, do your effort. Then spend your time making dua to Allah, asking for tawfiq and success. And then know that he will do his part by lifting away from you this fear and anxiety and other things. So the treatment is something that we are now hoping in the, in the US and of course, in, hopefully in the Netherlands as well, that people will not feel ashamed. And they will not say, oh, don't tell anybody that we have mental health issues because nobody will come to us for marriage Nobody will come to us for business. Nobody will come to us for any kind of uh, 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 social, you know, uh, uh, bonding or, or networking because they will think that we are weak. And the reality is that in the Quran, it's documenting that you, there are people who will experience these things. But what separates them is that they just sit and worry. And the ones who go and work in the path of Allah, then Allah removes from them that worry and the anxiety and the, and the fear. 
And this is our goal. You know, our, our hope is that more people will enter in these fields in medicine, psychiatry, uh, social work, psychology, uh, teaching. Teaching is a great form of counseling. Many problems uh, we find from the children are they cannot talk to anyone. They'll talk to the teacher, inshallah. So it's basically uh, different needs that need to be met. You have the spiritual need and you have the psychological need. And we need proper education to teach people that uh, we have to facilitate these needs in the right way. What's also really um, what struck me about what you just said was that um, uh, sabr and um, you mentioned another Salah. virtue. Salah. Right. Those are intertwined, right? Yeah. And fasting is as well intertwined yeah. with another value. was a, a lecture that I saw about um, um, basically the essentials of faith, which spoke about um, the essentials, essential values that we as Muslims um, are... Uh, basically recommended to have um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about them in three different forms in the Quran right so he says La'allakum so that you may become um, in Allah yuhibbu Allah loves uh, and in Allah ma'a sabirin and then you have these different virtues right like uh, sabr like uh, taqwa um, um, being thankful um, being yeah having patience etc etc and then these are intertwined or connected to um, essential um, things that we uh, are enjoined or prescribed to do within Islam, right? So we have Salah, and that is inter intertwined with the value of Sabr. We have fasting, which is intertwined with the value of Taqwa. So you see these values being connected to our daily rituals and uh, the, the, the wisdom uh, behind those. So it's, um, yeah, I diverge from the path. But it's important because I think this is what's um, most critical is that we should take the teachings of our faith and try to translate them into ways that our young people can understand them, college students can understand them. At uh, Yaqeen Institute, one of the th reasons we are so passionate about our work is that we say that basically we are trying to deconstruct and 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 you know demystify the religion so that the yaqeen or the conviction that young people will have and young or old whoever does it but we focus on it as uh, one truth at a time just one truth at a time and so you don't have to come you know in a heavy way so if you can think and say well what's the most important thing for that youth it may nothing have nothing to do with salah at the time but the idea of teaching them a sense of relaxing, focusing their energies, focusing their thoughts, focusing their uh, uh, anger and their emotions, all of those different feelings, and then bringing them together and then letting them go and saying that when you make the wudu, then wash them away. Like it's a physical image, but it's also a, a physical process. I mean, it's an image, it's but it's also a physical process. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Spiritual process. Yeah. And so um, uh, we, when we write a lot of these papers uh, and, and, uh, and our audience can you know, look at them, uh, these are professionals in the field who are experts and then they're able to take their expertise within their profession, the Islamic teachings, and then present them in a way that can help people to get more convinced that Islam can help them, uh, Islam is their way of life, and that uh, indeed uh, getting closer to Allah will solve almost all their problems, but they have to try very hard and they have to do it little by little, not heavily and not a lot. Yeah. Right.
and that's the work that you do for Yakin Institute uh, yeah, for Islamic yeah. research. That's that's the yeah that's the 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 work from the last two years was that uh, we knew that there is a lot of doubt developing in the minds of Muslims about the religion, about the teachings. A lot of it was be not because of the religion itself, but because of relationship with parents or other issues or other source of trauma that was caused in their uh, uh, experiences uh, with family or with uh, uh, school or with work or Which wherever. they then related to Islam. Islam, correct. And then they might have thought, well, maybe the answer is to push away from Islam. And our goal was to say, to let them see where Islam is not only celebrated, we can celebrate the contributions of the religion, but that you can, inshallah, uh, get, become firm in your own path. You know, and, and that's where the yaqeen part comes from. You spoke about factors as uh, family and like the relationships or whatever trauma that has been witnessed. But sometimes, and I've seen this among some youth who just came recently to Europe and um, and some of them also, they've been here since decades, like 20, 21 years old, that they think if they detach themselves from their identity as immigrants or as Muslims, they can integrate better and they can find their, their spot in the society that they are living in. And it's quite challenging sometimes to show them that it's compatible. You cannot, yeah. it's not like a different or separate. So how can we reinforce that idea and us as MSA, how can we help? Like we have some students here. Sometimes it's quite um, hard to admit it, but they are scared the minute they say, for example, ISA, as the Islamic Student Association, they have directly this idea in their head that, oh, maybe we're not good enough. Maybe we're not good Muslims to be part of this, of this group, thinking that they having that uh, a bit of guilt yeah. of detaching from their own identity themselves and knowing it's it's not right yeah. kind of wrong but how can we help them to realize that and to to walk away from the idea that detachment mean acceptance and they can be part of the society that they are in yeah so it's a great question because i think um one of the things with student associations and my whole life uh I've been working with organizations and associations of different kinds or the other. Uh, it's a privilege to be a part of an association, to be a member or to be able to have the opportunity to be there. So n there should be no single member who is untouched in a way that they don't have some responsibility or some role or, or job in the, in the association. There are always going to be people who are closer to the grassroots who are able to go and mix with the people who are just out there and who, as you said, may be shy or feel you know um, guilty or un just somehow ashamed. But there should always be people trained to have an open heart and an open mind and a welcoming attitude to just say that we are incomplete if you are not with us. It's a very different way of telling someone to come to us than to say that we are complete and we also want you to join us. That we are incomplete if you are not with us. And we feel a, a, a sense of a, a, a gap if you are not joining us. And so uh, it, it's very important, as we remember from the life of the Prophet, peace be upon him, every single person he met, and he was so busy, every single person he met uh, believed 
that they were the most special to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Every single person got full attention, a man or woman, to be able to speak and to, to, hear, for, uh, uh, to hear his advice, to ask him questions. We are uh, maybe becoming too uh, relaxed yep. so that we think that because, well, we have a website and we have a great social media uh, outlook, uh, I mean, a different uh, you know, accounts, that people should know who we are. I don't know why they don't know who we are. And then they know who we are, but they may actually look and say, oh, these are the people, maybe they will judge me. Maybe they will say, oh, she doesn't practice well, or he doesn't practice well. And so I will not feel welcome. No one in any association should become the, the door that closes the opportunity for people to grow. Because we don't know when that person's growth is possible. And we don't know that maybe I'm actually not growing. And until that person enters into the association and challenges us, then growth will occur. Because with change and with opportunity, sometimes it's uncomfortable. People ask questions, why do we do this this, this way always? And they say, well, we never thought about it. We never thought about why we you know, um, um, uh, have a, a particular way we give the, I mean, the a particular message at khutbah. We have 52 weeks in the year. We don't know why we didn't make a curriculum and say that we will follow the Islamic calendar and look at the themes. When it's Rabiul Awal, we'll talk about the life of the Prophet, peace be upon him. When it's Ramadan is coming and Shaban and you know and, and, and Ramadan, then we'll talk about the preparation for that month. Idul Adha, we'll talk about. So we will try to apply those lessons. But maybe the people are watching from the outside and they're saying it's so obvious they need to make these changes. Otherwise, it's just the same every year is exactly the same nothing is changing um, and if unless we send people out we have to train them we have to train people for dawah we have to train people for outreach and to be able to speak to people in a polite and a loving and a kind way and to keep in their mind that maybe this new person is my uh, ticket to jannah, to jannah. Yes. that maybe them coming in is how i will get better or I will improve, or I will grow. That takes a very difficult feeling. I mean, right. to, to look at And it's at a that. totally different approach than just looking at it like a, a mass, yeah. mass, mass production, and just yeah, we need to have as many people as we, as we need. And um, the question that you asked about um, someone feeling like they might not belong or be judged yeah. also um, connects with the part of self-esteem. How would you advise an average student to um, that? notices that their self-esteem is um, being attacked and that it's not as stable as needed, how would you advise them to um, yeah, basically recover this? Um, one of the things I talked about was the, um, the fact that these trainings um, in, a, in an age of technology now, yeah. that they should become anywhere between 30 second to one second video clips. One minute, yeah. Yeah, one minute video clips that are even if the person doesn't ever see them, uh, I mean, cannot come physically, that there is a whole um, a library that they can, they can look online. They can look for issues inside the classroom, issues between students, issues in the playground, issues. So it should be able to be presented in a way for the high school and the, and the coming the children, but that it becomes the, for them a, a way to protect themselves 
to be stronger when they come to college. So that library is something free and it's accessible and you can you know have it online and available. And this is one of the beauties of the of technology when it's used well, is that I, maybe sometimes people are shy. A young man may be shy to say that, you know, I'm being pushed around and I don't know how to fight back or I don't want to fight back. I don't have any desire to fight back. And then the others will say, oh, what kind of a man are you? You don't even want to defend yourself. He said, no, I don't feel like fighting or a sister. And sometimes we think that, you know, the women are being kind to one another, but the sister says, you know, I feel very judged. I feel like when, when I come, they're all laughing. And then by the time I come, then they stop laughing. And it's like, you know, uh, uh, as if they don't want me to know anything and they don't want me to be involved. And it starts to hurt me. She may never come to say, anybody, say this to anybody. But if there are videos and short clips on, is this happening? If this is happening, here's how you can deal with it. Here are some resources. Here's online resources. Here's a way to, you know, to look to. Uh, you can message one of us in, in the college system. Right, who is able to perhaps uh, spend some time with you, yeah. uh, either on the phone or by email, whatever the case is, there is no reason now that we cannot share all these resources and make them available for people. And the best, best solution would be that the person who is suffering the most, Allah guides them to open this site or this uh, social media account and they come to that one place and they say, SubhanAllah, whoever made this 30 seconds is moved like a mountain from my shoulders. And I was, you know, in, in this big difficulty and they did this for me and, and they will make dua and, and, and it, it will be an amazing, you know, uh, sense of achievement for them. Uh, but it's very possible. Yeah. And I think we have all the resources to do it. Inshallah. I think that's a really, uh, really interesting and uh, practical um, idea to perform, yeah. right? To create these videos where there are skits and basically... Um, yeah, scenes laid out how to attack this and deal with these uh, subjects, uh, which also touches on the theme of using social media in general. I read a quote and it was about the television, but I think it goes for the internet as well, is that um, television was, is a um, excellent servant, but a very bad master. <laughs> so um, if you know how to use it and utilize it, then it's, it's, it has a lot of benefits, right? A, a lot of access to data, etc. But when it gets to uh, control you, then that's not the, the proper situation. And you just um, did a lecture about uh, social media diets, basically, and uh, the effects of using social media on self-esteem. Um, what's the correlation between social media and self-esteem in the research that you did? So, you know, um, uh, as I said, people of different ages, age groups are using social media. So uh, on the most part, there's a lot of good in it and that uh, people can benefit and improve and learn and, and, and so forth. But for that population who is in search of question, uh, answers to questions such as, who am I? Why am I on earth? What is life supposed to mean for me? Um, what is my, uh, what meaningful contribution will I make? All of the, those teenage, early teenage and teenager questions are often based on the sense of Somebody from the outside again saying to me, you matter, you mean, uh, uh, you know, you are special to us, um, you um, uh, look handsome, you look beautiful, you look these kinds of sort of uh, statements. Um, and in social media, regrettably, the, the trend has become that that's what people go there to find. That they say, they hope that if they dressed up 
and they put a lot of effort that day to dress up nicely. And when they put it up, the picture, they hope that everybody will say, oh, mashallah, you know, this is such a beautiful picture and you did such a great job and this, that, and the other. Acknowledgement, right? Acknowledgement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the acknowledgement is coming at the expense of all those hours spent on not just preparing oneself, but the exact angle of the selfie typically that will show, that seems to make you the happiest. And in doing that, a part of you is going away because then it's all based on what others think about you. And so we have to really help young people understand that you are not going to wait for someone else to tell you you are intelligent or beautiful or handsome or these things. We will do that. We will constantly do that to each other. We will help each other. We will look at the middle school children and the uh, high school children, and we will have uh, as, as student associations, we will create celebration days for them as the end of their school year and take the best among them and celebrate them and uh, give them awards for um, intelligence, awards for community service, awards for different categories that make them realize that I am somebody because of my religion. And then, I'm, I mean, as a human being, and then I'm also trying to be a different in whatever profession I want to be and so on and so forth. So social media interrupts that. It demands that the world like me and the world you know, uh, show me that they like me. And it has to be in a way that's very public and very shared and very, um, you know, uh, uh, retweeted and, and liked. It's really measurable, right? Yes. The number of likes you have, the number of followers that you have. So the, the element of, uh, yeah, being acknowledged and your value, um, when you place it on social media, it's very easy to, to, uh, to measure it, right? We pointed at the problem and the, the downs of it, but how can we take over that? How can we gain that control again? What kind of advices would you give us? So balance in everything, the Prophet peace be upon him taught us, you know, وسلم, that the, um, the idea of everything in, in moderation, you know, in, in a very balanced way. So I think the worlds that we're fighting now, there is the, the world that is the scene, the world we see. And with teenagers with phones and with access to internet and social media, there is a world that we don't see in which they are living. And so our goal should be to create a balance so that their happiness is in the being in the physical world and valuing it as much as they're also valuing the cyber world or the social media world. And I think this is something that is needs a lot of patience, a lot of effort. Uh, it needs them from away from the phone because to show them that They can have genuine, um, uh, for example, when we have youth camps in the United States, um, among the things the children do is you give them a group project and you say, for example, you have uh, an area that has a lot of pollution from plastic and recyclable and these other things. And so your goal is to develop a, a way to uh, uh, take care of this sort of uh, recycling you know, um, uh, um, uh, pileup and figure out how best to beautify that area, that neighborhood. Another one talks about healthcare. 
and that you are in a situation where you know there are people who don't have health care. So what you're doing is moving their center of concern from themselves, about themselves, to slightly shifting it to just for a moment, hypothetically, to con show concern for someone else. Show empathy. Empathy for someone else. And a and bigger you, purpose. And a bigger purpose. So that as, and you hope that as they're working on that, they will start to realize that I like this. Like I like doing this. I enjoyed dreaming of a, a more beautiful garden for these people who are living in this area where they're elderly and people are throwing garbage or uh, people who are without health care. And I thought about how I'm going to help them and solve it and this, that, and, you know, uh, come up with an invention of some kind. If we don't challenge them, this becomes just a, as a deadly weapon because it's just time is going over and again and again. And the worst situation is that they're consuming uh, content, then they're eating without thinking, and then they're having sugar and caffeine and other things. So there's also physical health issues coming from this lifestyle of sitting still and just letting the world go by, as opposed to getting up and living the world, you know, living the life. During the lecture, you also spoke about the effect that it has on your ability to focus and concentrate. Yeah. Um, and that uh, research has shown that a lot of social media use um, has a negative impact on the ability to concentrate for a longer time. Um, And with this, um, I also think that um, you also spoke about multitasking during yeah, the lecture. The myth of multitasking. The myth of multitasking. The lie right. multitasking. The lie we've been told. And um, um, somebody also said, no, I like multitasking when I do data entry, for example, because else I get bored. And I think that th this um, touches an, another big problem, and I call it the, the entertainment addiction. We, we want to be entertained constantly, right? And uh, also the research that you uh, spoke about that said that having visual um, impulses constantly, uh, you get used to that. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, this this entertainment addiction is, is something that is very, um, very common in, in, in how I perceive it. Actually distraction, as you explained, because yeah, it's, right. it's, it's more of a distraction, yeah. not even... Yeah. Yeah. It's a distraction, but the, the, the need to be entertained, yeah. you want to be entertained constantly. And when you see a lecture and you just have one lecture, it gets boring very quickly because it's not what you're used to. Uh, is this something that you've also come across in your research? You know, it's interesting. The research is there yeah. about concentration, lack of focus, distraction. But the heart of what you're saying about entertainment is uh, a very nafsi um, um, uh, existence. It's uh, about me, always about me. And the zuhud that we're trying to say should come from a sense of appreciation of time and talent and skills and energy is that how much can any, everybody have? How much does the world have a responsibility? to keep you entertained. And like Zuhud is the minimalism, right? Well, Zuhud is minimalism. It comes you know, at, at, the, at the other side of this, but it's a very a selfish way of living. Like I am someone special, so entertain me, like keep me occupied, you know? And if it's, um, uh, you didn't uh, have a joke in the lecture, then uh, it's boring. Like the interesting thing is that um, we are not only then uh, saying you, the world should entertain me, then I am also the greatest of critics. 
Yeah. You know, so now I will also decide thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> right. You know, my will, opinion matters. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. cringeworthy or it was, you know, uh, it was great or not great without even realizing that the person who is the scholar who spent most of their lifetime studying and developing a set of thinking and a set of uh, logical, you know, thoughts, that person, in terms of how much they gave to come to that level of learning and understanding, if you gave even half an hour to understand one sentence that they said, you would find that there's more meaning in it than what you just jumped and thought you understood. It's because, again, you didn't feel you were entertained and you didn't feel you, um, uh, uh, you know, um, were somehow moved by it. Not everything in the Quran moves every single person. And that's the amazing thing. This is the book of Allah. There are people who, who say, I, I don't, it does nothing for me when I'm reading it. And then there's other people who, as the words are being recited, that the, the, the remembrance, the dhikr that comes from it, then the words themselves start to slowly create in them amazing feelings of joy because of the paint, the imagery of paradise. And then there's fears, uh, fear and anxiety because the imagery of hellfire. So that type of engagement is very different. And if we were to engage with life in that same way, whatever I'm saying and doing now, is it moving me closer to paradise or away from paradise? Whatever it is that I'm en being entertained by now, is it taking me closer to paradise or, or away from paradise? And if it's coming away from paradise, what guarantee do I have that I can then stop and then make a U-turn and then come back? What if that time that I'm mocking away is the time that's meant for me to be done on this earth? And then what do I say? And how am I going to be you know, showing the responsibility? So we're starting to show our, you know, uh, we need to show our coming generation that it's okay to want to have fun. It's okay to want to be amused or to be entertained. But that's not the goal. It's not the goal. And I've mentioned this, you know, in I think in, even in the previous podcast, like I love sports. I love all of these things. I have absolutely no time. I don't know how anybody could watch something for two, three, four hours and then overtime and injury time and this time and that time. <laughs> but in five minutes, I'm able to get all the best plays of all the games and I'm happy because I saw what must have occurred over several hours, over several matches and over several, you know, uh, different parts of the world. If we train our children to be happy with a little, that five minutes is worth more than the hours, right? And that's where the zuhud comes from, is that the idea that the Prophet, peace be upon him, in his whole life, in his whole life, never ate nearly as much as some of our children are eating before they become even eight, 10 years old, how much they eat in his whole life, it just in terms of meat and, and warm cooked food. But where did that come from? Because from an earlier, earlier time, he was told, that the, your akhirah is so much more valuable to you than anything in the present. You, you, can, you can do well with little food. You can do well with not less sleep because they need sleep. College students need sleep, others need sleep, but just a little bit lesser than if you were to you know, wake up. So if you're waking up just 15 minutes before shuruk, 
then make it 20 minutes before shuruq and then be a little bit more relaxed in the wudu and in the sunnah and in the fard and then just a few more minutes and then you can pray salatul duha just a few more sacrifices if not in the weekdays then on the weekends then it's not about me only then it's not about my entertainment then it's not about just i'm not happy that's all the world is about i'm not happy well what does that mean when will you be happy people become middle aged they get they have married they have children they have home they have a good job they have cars they have everything all the money they need i'm not happy because happiness was always external and it was never measured it was just something just out of control and so it was never going to be enough and ultimately there's no way to bring that person back because it's gone on for so long but if we start early and and we do this even you know with our children that even though we could give them each something of 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 whatever eat or a toy or whatever we try to get them to share and to understand that the process of getting to know your brother and sister and the process of struggling through and sharing is actually better for you because the appreciation you will have for each other will be will outlive the game will outlive the sport because now you know who you are now you know how to get along and take care of each other so these are critical uh, you know points what i find really interesting is the way to tackle this nafsi feeling this wanting to be entertained and my opinion matters primal needs are not the goal <laughs> right and when primal needs are the goal i want to be happy that's that's the goal itself then you will um search for things that will give you temporary happiness right like eat a lot and watch this youtube so and watch this next netflix show but it doesn't give you um lasting lasting happiness right satisfaction one season doesn't so you have to watch all the 50s right yeah. right right and then yeah. including urtu girl by the way the turkish uh, <laughs> contribution to our life here. right exactly in the us all those people who don't speak turkish now are starting to learn turkish shout out to turkey for that <laughs> no but i think that's yeah. that's a very very crit- critical element within that so um let's say someone is listening right now myself let's make it personal okay i i know i i i i want to um, um grow more in this path of zuhud and basically not um have my life being domin- dominated by by entertainment uh, what are the practical steps to um, make this lasting right durable what's your advice so in that each person is unique each person is very different um to come to know oneself is in itself part of the journey of college is that i think people have to allow themselves that time that i mentioned about deep reflection is to like i understood very early on that um music for example um for whatever reason music would stay with me for long periods of time even when i wasn't focused on letting it stay with me when i understood that i realized that it would take up too much of my thinking to have that happening in and the back memory of my head. as well yeah and the memory exactly and then i thought it doesn't make sense that i would willingly give my attention to something that i know is going to occupy my head so i phased it out and basically if the children are listening to something of a nasheed or 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 something that's ha- happening um i will enjoy it but i will not because i understood myself i will not go and listen to songs or music of a, a different kinds 
because it's it's even interesting that um, the body and the rhythm of the body are very closely associated with what we talk about the state of adhkar when we're making adhkar and we have a certain rhythm for the dua and for the uh, for the tasbih and and so so if that rhythm of the quran the rhythm of the duas if that rhythm can be what keeps moving through your day how much more of a blessing than willingly giving it to something that maybe has some meaning most of the times not no meaning or um, even sometimes bad meanings um, so that was something of a personal journey so then yeah then i isolated it yeah then i just you know um, i don't i don't bother to listen to it um, but it took time right early on in college to realize that this was going to be very powerful and it's going to be something overtaking you similar thing with movies and the time it takes and then yet over time you realize that well if you want to be consistent then you say to your children that we're not going to be watching movies then you can't watch movies and then they cannot watch movies the whole house cannot watch movies so now it doesn't happen at all that anybody in the home is sitting there together to watch a movie and yet when we select the movie we do a lot of research to see how will it affect us what is the messaging what are the scenes what are what is helpful what is not all of these things so what i'm you know finding more and more is that people are not willing to spend that time are not willing to then make that decision once allah shows you the result of the dua because this is why the dua of istikhara becomes such a a, a personal uh, a game because it's not that allah didn't offer an answer or delay the 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 action uh, or change the course it's that we are not satisfied with what happened it's about the intention, intention. and how we preserve the result or yeah. this maybe the sign that we the received sign. yeah yeah and so we end up ultimately just keep saying i didn't get a good sign or i'm not clear yet and the reality is that give yourself time to think you know um allow yourself i have a um one hour sometimes a drive to my university and um when i don't have a conference call and i don't have a, a reason to be on the phone then i have the quran uh, to recite i have uh, duas to make i have family members to think about who are maybe ill um uh, uh to to way in a way to say that there's so much more to be concerned about and so much more i can use my time and i think over time people start to realize in none of this did i say i don't have fun you know we have fun with the children i have fun as i you know said with with my own friends and 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 other colleagues and discussions and other debates and you know um conversations um uh, funny stories you know things that are would but what is the limit of fun if you set it up very high then everything has to be better than the last one which is why this whole industry of movie and entertainment their constant goal is to say we have to do more special effects than the last one greater you know a, a more fire and more gunpowder and more than cars crashing and more so now it's to a point where if a young child was to watch the first few minutes of anything in the industry in the entertainment industry they would have seen people getting um uh, gunned down and shot up cars crashing 
flames and fire and, and destruction, uh, 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 planes exploding, uh, homes exploding. What, at what peace would they have? There was a study that the most violence on American television was shown on Saturday morning. Yeah, and, and it's actually in cartoons. Yeah, and they, even though it's intended to be a, you know, a made-up world, but they cannot separate. Yeah. And you're very, as I hear, very careful about what you're consuming. Correct. Because you know the influence that it has on you. It's about having self-conscious, identifying what is being presented to you as a distraction and finding your own way in how to deal with it, actually, because it can work for you, it can work for me, but different ways. It depends on, on the person themselves and their character and what works for them and not. That's why self-awareness and self-conscious is quite important. And I think what's also very... Um, uh, interesting about what you said about movies. I'm watching movies and you can't. Um, it's about also, I think, creating an environment where you're not going to fall into your weakness, right? Yeah. If you know that you have a certain weakness, create an environment where you don't need to use your impulse control. Exactly. Yeah. M moving a bit from the subject and going back to our, you spoke a lot about gaining deeds and not being self-concentrated. Uh, how can we be as Muslims? Uh, as, M as the MSA community, how can we help brothers and sisters who just came to find Islam, came to find their, their, the right path? Uh, I don't like using the expressions of convert and revert because I see a Muslim is a Muslim. But how can we help them out? Because I hear a lot of stories of people struggling with their families, having some kind of double lives. They can have like a face with their family, but the thing that the, like uh, discovering Islam and trying to live a correct uh, lifestyle. So they find themselves struggling between two, two lives, not willing to lose their families as well. So what kind of advices that you can give it to them directly? Probably they will be listening to us, inshallah. And for them and for us, how can we help them with that as well? So, you know, with, with everything we do, we have to... Um, really be intentional about why we're doing what we're doing. So we are now in the 21st century. We have people who are learning about Islam, people who are watching Muslims on college campuses. Uh, uh, you, you guys are included. And that they are, Allah is guiding them to their fitrah. So their pure state in which they were born. And so this is a very, very difficult journey for them to come to the idea, realization that at this point in my life, I have nowhere else to turn and I should turn back to, you know, my creator and, uh, and, uh, and indeed um, um, make the most of the time I have. What's amazing about this is that we don't have a department within the student associations to focus on keeping people Muslim. So we don't talk about that because we just assume, I mean, what, it's Friday. You're Muslim, you're yeah, good. Exactly. Yeah. It's Friday. You should come to prayer when there's Ramadan, you should, you know, break fast with us. And um, in between, however you survive, I hope you're doing okay. In the US, we have a problem. It's quite not that, you know, different. When somebody becomes Muslim on college campus or after Jummah prayer, it happened at the centrum in, in Rotterdam, someone took the Shahada a sister after that and the same thing the they say they take the shahada everybody rushes and all the sisters if it's a sister then all the sisters come and hug them 
when they you know they welcome them and then it's the most lonely world for them after that because nobody actually says so what will you do the rest of the day where will you go now that you said publicly that you're a muslim how's your, your family taking it your family it? yeah your family what what will they do to you do you have some place to stay nobody even thinks that the example of the prophet peace be upon him in this in the sira in the in the hijra from mecca to medina he gave us the example of what it would mean to enter into a religion and to give up everything you have and then to leave behind even your own birthplace to go to a new land in this case medina yathrib to be able to practice your faith So because he knew the ones who were coming were powerful people with very lot of pride and they would never ask for help when he came there the first thing he did was to create the system of muakha and he said that every one of you now has a brother here and a sister here so we need that we need to be able to have a system of people who are trained sisters and brothers so the next time somebody says i only have started to have questions I don't know if I want to become Muslim but I just have some questions one person is assigned to them just spend some time with them every week just have coffee with them just check in with them if they say they have nothing to ask no other questions leave them if they say they have questions and you don't know the answer then tell us and then we will together look for the answer or send them someone so we need to start developing that brotherhood and sisterhood system nobody is going to want everything from us in the time of the sahaba you know may allah be pleased with all of them Ameen. i mean literally we had examples of them saying you know i have this business and you are welcome to half of it i have such and such and you are welcome to half of it you will never start without anything so where is that and for a person who has a career and a or a college degree and a job and everything else but they lost their family so those video clips we talked about for the young people who are muslims now we start talking about role playing and video clips of what is it going to be like when easter comes when christmas comes you should go and you should visit your mother and father they deserve your love and their respect but you can tell them that i don't no i no longer eat for example pork or i don't drink alcohol simple things that doesn't take away the company they gave birth to you and the quran tells us in so many beautiful ways in surah isra and others that indeed they are the ones after whom allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says wa qada rabbuka alla ta'budu illa iyahu wa bil walidayni ihsan that in that structure allah is in charge and then comes your parents and to them give them uh, uh, show them kindness and yeah. ihsan and that when they reach old age it doesn't say old age as muslims it just says old age lower for them the wings of mercy as they took care of you i think it's a really needed and interesting point and the the, the brother and sister system is is really 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 good system mashallah brother with brother and sister brother with yeah, brother yeah of course yeah, definitely <laughs> yeah, definitely of course we got to keep it halal <laughs> no definitely thank you for for the advice thank you for the conversation um we appreciate your coming to the netherlands every year um 
Do you have any uh, any questions? Any yeah, very honored for having you here today, no, and looking forward for future maybe conversation, inshallah. Thank you so Do much. Do you have any final advice for the listeners? So it's uh, always the same, you know, is that um, uh, we're part of a very beautiful religion. We're being tested um, a little bit by the circumstances in in the world, um, but uh, we are very privileged. We're at a uh, mostly at university settings. We're able to get a degree and to get a profession, to get a job. So if we uh, work on making sure our, we and our family are straight and have a, a, you know, a good relationship with Allah, then we can extend our concern to those who are in need, whether Muslim or people of other faith, and that we really um, must make the most use of these college years. Everybody thinks I don't have time. Every college student has too much time, <laughs> yes. too much time. And we just ask them, you know, one hour, you know, a, a month sometimes to do a charitable project or to go and look for others who are becoming new Muslims and what, you know, what do they need and how can we help them and how can we teach them privately and how can we benefit from their experience? Um, similarly, extending it out to all around the world whether it's the refugee crisis that's uh, unending in the Rohingya brothers and sisters, the Syria, Syrian brothers and sisters, and all of this um, uh, devastation, uh, Allah will ask us, you know, um, I gave you a good life, I gave you education, I gave you family, I gave you everything you wanted. And again, it was all about you and, um, you know, being entertained and being having a good time, but you didn't make any change in yourself or in the world around you. And we ask Allah to uh, help us to be among those who ultimately, um, uh, whose efforts He will uh, bless for self-improvement and whose efforts He will put barakah in for uh, uh, helping improve the lives of others. Amen. Jazakallah khairan. Thank you very much. I'm going to close off the episode. Thank you very much for uh, for listening and watching. And uh, until the next time, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam.